Hi, Jesse here of Humans Are Divine. Everyone wants continual happiness, non-stop peace of mind, and a mentally and relationally healthy life. Some call this enlightenment, awakening, or a continual experience of God's presence. But if that sounds weird to you, those terms are not needed. The point is, you want to be free from things like self-centeredness, anger, sadness, loneliness, stress, codependency, the need to always be entertained or distracted. You name it, any and all human dysfunction. You want to be free all the time, wherever you are. The solutions are out there, I promise you, but it's hard to figure out on your own. That's where I come in. My passion is to make the lessons and practices that can actually change your life easy to understand and easy to practice. There's no cult-like or church schemes here to control you or make you do things you don't want to do. And what I will help you with will not be more work on your already busy plate of life. I'm just a person who wants to help. I've been in the shitter and I've come out and I'm not special. What I did to find happiness, you can do too. The details are at patreon.com slash humans are divine. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Contact me for a free 15-minute consultation if you're feeling unsure. Don't be shy. Contact me. What do you have to lose? If you enjoy the show and you want to partner with us and give us some money to keep the thing going, you can go ahead and do so at paypal.me forward slash humans are divine. That's paypal.me forward slash humans are divine. And thank you for your support. Hey everybody, how are you doing? Uh, my friend today is Jonah Matranga. You might know him from Far, New and Original, Gratitude, his solo moniker, One Line Drawing. He also goes under his own name, Jonah Matranga. So, uh, hey Jonah, how are you doing? Thanks for being on the show. I'm very well. Thank you for having me. And anyone out there listening who had heard of none of that, you're in the majority. But I love making music and I've been doing it a long time. Yes, definitely. And then the cool thing about Jonah is that he's not just a, a great musician and some great bands. Uh, he practices meditation and spirituality or whatever you want to call it. He, he just connects to that part of life. And so I, I think he has a lot of great stuff to say about that. And so you will enjoy that. Uh, Jonah, we actually met at the Soda Bar. Thursday was doing their, I don't know if there was their 20 year or whatever, their, their, their <laughs> yeah. war all the time. Yeah. We'll collapse, all of us, you know, anniversary shows. Um, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I remember. I remember talking to you, man. It was a sweet little connection. Yeah, yeah. You were you were you were very kind, which I appreciate. Thank you for your friendliness. Very very welcoming presence. And um, I was able to grab your book, which was very entertaining, by the way. Oh, thanks. And it was just it was cool to talk to you about uh, meditation. And you told me that you practice TM. Is that correct? That is true. That is the modality I have found that is working in my life. And you've been doing that for a few years, or a few years now? Yeah. So how did you get into TM? Who told you about it? Um, gosh, I guess the first, who is the, I think 
the first person I remember being connected to TM and is all celebrity stuff, you know, so how I think we find out about a lot of these things, um, or certainly I, I think it was like the combo of Howard Stern, Jerry Seinfeld and David Lynch all being like very openly effusive about this practice. I just thought those are three really different human beings. Um, and at the same time, they're all people who have led pretty idiosyncratic lives and done a thing that is very much them and done it at a really high level for a really long time. So it, it was sort of, I like when sort of different, when disparate sort of influences come together, that's a, it's sort of like cross-referencing a news story. It, it helps me believe like, huh, I think there's something here. Um, so that was my first thing. But then I, you know, I heard it was kind of expensive and I'm pretty skeptical about joining stuff and culty stuff. And I was, uh, yeah, I'm a very sort of skeptical creature, generally speaking. Um, and so that went on for some years and I, I've tried, I mean, I've been to Vipassana retreats and I've tried all sorts of different modalities of meditation over the years. And I'm, I'm, just an explorer that way. And it's, it's funny when I think about the music, because honestly, having led a life full of just creating a bunch of stuff has really, it was really my pathway into sort of wondering about, you know, what created us. <laughs> um, and so that searching definitely led into this life I've had of sort of checking out different ways people have of trying to understand themselves and each other. Um, so that's all to say that it was a long road. And then, you know, TM was sort of in the soup for a while of like, oh, that, that could be cool sometime. And then I think that the biggest thing that happened, honestly, was a more personal connection, which is usually the case. Um, my friend Ian was going through a ton of stuff. Ian Love, a fellow musician and now turned a brilliant woodworker. Um, he was going through a bunch of shit in his life and I was in New York where he lives and was hanging out with him and he just seemed really kind of buoyant and glowy and relaxed. And I thought, and I asked him, I, mean, I thought, and I asked out loud, what is going on? And he said, you know, it's TM. It's really been a, a thread through all of this trouble. And his, I just trust him deeply. I, I know him real well. And um, he's just not a bullshitter. And his, his endorsement of it meant a lot to me. Um, and then as life happens, David Lynch was coming to San Francisco to teach, uh, or not to teach really, I guess sort of to teach, but it was him and Bob Roth, who's the CEO of, of his TM foundation. And they do a lot of teaching TM to people in prisons, to um, black and brown kids in poor communities, um, to sort of anywhere where there's sort of extra stress in a life to veterans um, they do a lot of work with and they, you know, they've done research, I, you know, again, I'm skeptical of all this stuff, but, but it, you know, this, there was some solid science, you know, seemingly solid science in research. So they were coming to talk about TM and talk about the work they were doing in like a, you know, a thousand seat theater in San Francisco. And I went with Kim, my sweetie and we sat in the audience, they talked, it was kind of an infomercial, but it was a cool infomercial. Um, and I liked their presence. 
And then they had a question and answer thing at the end. And so I raised my hand and I said, I love the work y'all are doing with underprivileged and under-resourced communities. Um, and I can't afford some money for it, but I, you know, I had heard estimates between a thousand, two thousand, twenty five hundred, and I was like, I don't know if I got, you know, a grand to drop on learning a meditation technique. Um, and I said, is there is there anything sort of in between free and too expensive for me? And talked about my life a little bit, and David Lynch made a cute joke about like, oh my gosh, we need to start a starving artist scholarship, and. <laughs> So the you know the audience laughed about that and and Bob very friendly uh, from the stage said hey come find us after the show come talk to me I will connect you we'll work this out it was very very sort of this generous public offer and I thought but how am I going to really work that out but Kim was like no let's go they were signing books so we got a book and we went to that we went through the line and I said hey I'm the starving artist guy you asked about the you know the the, the break on the price. And Bob, again, I mean, David was really nice, too, but Bob was clearly the sort of the talker and the outward facing organizational person. And Bob was super sweet and said, we're going to work this out. Um, here's my card. We're going to connect you with a teacher in San Francisco and we'll figure out the money. And I said, OK. And I went home kind of like, huh, is this actually for real? And I wrote an email to the, to the email on his card, just sort of explaining my situation. Um, he had made a something reference to being an East coast Jew, which I also am. And 18 is a number, uh, that's sort of in whatever old school Hebrew numerology, numerology or whatever is a thing. Um, and so I said, Oh, you know, I was sort of joking, like since we're both East coast Jews, you know, I'll say I can, I can afford $360, you know, that's, that's 180 times two, you know, and, uh, and just sort of relatively facetious, but I was like, this is a neighborhood I think I could swing and that I'd be willing to sort of drop down on this chance that this could be an interesting thing. And he wrote back to me very promptly and said, you know what, since, uh, since you love 18 and 180, David just says, let's just do it for 180. Um, so literally offered it to me for less than what I was saying I could do it for. Um, and I was kind of blown away by that. And he, in no time I was connected with a teacher and I went in and it was just such, I think I tell that whole story to say it was a very serendipitous, interesting thing that seemed to have its own momentum right from the moment that I was sort of open to it. Um, and I should clarify for everyone, I am a real skeptical person. I'm not a super woo-woo person. I don't make up big stories about this. And it's interesting how this has happened because I've tried a lot of different things in life and I'm not a joiner. And this was a very smooth journey into this practice. I went and the teaching of it, and we might talk about it later if you want, is very simple. Um, and I went and did it and I was, I was very clear that I didn't want any upsell. I didn't want to be talk about any dogma, any, you know, sort of spiritual or, or any context of dogma. Um, and I was just curious about this practice. And sure enough, it was done very simply and wonderfully and without bullshit that I could detect. And uh, I have been doing it twice a day for 20 minutes, you know, each time for the last few years, which I've never done anything in my life that consistently 
or effortlessly. And it hasn't been a grind. And, you know, maybe it was just I was ready for something in my life. I don't know. But there's something about this practice that is so simple and portable and dogma free and endlessly sparks my curiosity um, as to how it even does its thing. So that is the story of me and TM. That's a great story. And, you know, you're the first uh, guest on the show who ha who does TM, uh, or, or at least that I know of. And so I love that. Um, I've never done it. Of course, I've Googled it. And from I, I think I, I think I know what, what y'all do. But is it a secret? Or can you share <laughs> with us to practice or? I mean, no, it's, it's incredibly simple. I suppose the only secret thing, which I was skeptical of initially, was, you know, is this mantra thing, this mantra that you receive, that's your little mantra that you can never tell anyone. And um, I, to anyone out there who's like, yeah, that's fucking stupid, I, I get you. I'm with you. Um, but here's what I've come to believe about the importance of this this part of the practice. And I'll say this, outside of the mantra thing, it's literally you just... Well, yeah, you, you sit down in a, in a, you know, you don't need to, there's no special poses, you know, any sort of straight back chair, anything where you got back support to some degree. Um, you sit down, close your eyes, you just sort of let your thoughts drift around for, I don't know, 30 seconds, a minute. Um, as sort of gently as possible, kind of, you know, the mantra sort of drifts in, it tends to drift in naturally. Um, but if it isn't drifting in, uh, this, the strongest language I've ever heard them use for how to repeat this and use this mantra is to gently prefer it to the thoughts that are bubbling around. Um, and what I've come to discover about the practice is that the key is not trying to make the mantra or saying it a certain amount of times or saying it a certain way or anything like that. It's, and here's where it leads into the part about not saying it because so I did my little sort of learning ritual um, which was, you know, again, very, very simple. Uh, some, some words in a, what's, what is that language? Um, what's the old language? Like Sanskrit? Uh, blanking on it. Huh? Sanskrit? There you go. Yeah. I believe I heard some words in that language. Um, and you know, and, and they were even, they were very, uh, they're like, okay, there's a little bit of ritual, but I swear we're not trying to induct you into anything. It's just kind of a little like giving some love to, to Maharishi who started this or whatever. And, and again, to their credit, there's never been anything where like someone's trying to get me to join something. So anyway, uh, he said some words and then that kind of, and he didn't tell me what the mantra was going to be or what my mantra was or the definition of it or anything like that. But these words are happening. And then this one sort of word, sound, whatever, uh, started repeating more. And, um, it sort of became clear without him saying it, like, okay, this is the mantra. And I just sort of listened. And then after a while, you know, by a while, I mean like a minute or something like that, not a long time. Um, uh, my teacher, Brett, said, hey, uh, you know, can you just say that back to me? You know, just real quiet. You know, what are you hearing? And I said it a couple times out loud. And he's like, okay, cool. You got that? And I was like, yeah. And, you know, eyes closed. It's real, real chill right now. And uh, I sat down and he's like, cool. So just, you know, close your eyes, let the, you know, let your thoughts bounce around, kind of let this arise, um, this, this little word sound that I've just shown you. 
And before I knew it, 20 minutes was up and, and I opened my eyes and he was like, how was that? It was that easy. And that's the question he always asks after. He's like, was it easy? And I was like, yeah. He's like, cool. Okay. And I didn't feel at that moment sort of transformed or illuminated or anything. It was a nice ritual, but I was like, all right, cool. And then we, um, for the next three days, we got together and uh, as in me and several other people that were learning and Brett and his wife, Jane, um, we got together for a few days straight for like, I don't know, hour or two each. And they talked about principles of it and kind of, they talked about stress in the body and cortisol and some scientific stuff and how it works and um, just sort of some general ideas around it. And again, steered clear of anything that I could, you know, the more specific they got with the medical scientific parts, the less interested in it I was. I'm not, that's, because to me, science is wonderful and is amazing, but the people that do science are humans and they're just as prone to flaws as anything. So I'm not, I'm not super jazzed on like scientific data. Um, I think it's totally worth it to check out and it's a great grounding force to avoid magical thinking. Um, but I don't necessarily place it on a higher level than lots of other ways of telling stories and explaining life. Um, so, which is, I, I kind of might, some people might be freaking out. Some people who are into sort of more new agey magical thinking might be sort of on one side of that. And then real uh, people who think of themselves as very science-minded and evidence-minded might be on another side. And I just want to be clear. I love the practice of science, of deducing things via different people, checking things out and sharing their results. And if there's correlation, then that means something. I love that practice. I'm just skeptical of the power that we imbue in doctors and scientists and stuff. But on the other side, I'm so sad about anti-vax and sort of what I consider to be truly irrational, magical thinking that has taken over parts of our culture. So what I'm saying is neither of those things. And if, you know, so I just want to be real clear about that. Anyway, the little word what I think is interesting about it is that since that time, I have not said that word sound out loud. It exists as a thing in my brain, which means it's not even a sound anymore. It's not even really a word anymore. It's just this thing, this thought thing that, that is in my mind. And that's a real odd thing because it reminds me that it's really, it's, there's nothing there. And the way it's been explained to me, and I asked so many questions about it, is that the little mantra is a li is geared towards me. There's not an infinite number of them. I'm not the only one in the world that has this mantra, but there's a, there's a finite set of them. And they did ask me some questions about myself. So I feel like it has something to do with something that they decided about my personality type or something. Um, and, but long story short, it's just this little sound that is supposed to be like, to, to be like, uh, to kind of spur curiosity in my mind. And the idea is that their take is that the mind will go to whatever is most sort of pleasurable or dear or interesting. Um, like if you and I are talking and I smell pizza, I'm going to get distracted by the smell of that pizza if I'm hungry. Um, and it's sort of, so the mantra is like this little, <laughs> is sort of, if the, uh, this is a, you know, a, a, a metaphor that I presented to the, to my teacher that he seemed to at least giggle about. Um, 
if if sort of serenity or transcendence or whatever we're kind of looking for um, is the pizza, then the mantra is the scent of it. Um, and it's this idea that I very gently let my mind be led along by this scent and let it exist with all my other thoughts that are going along. Um, but this is the more pleasing path to kind of go down um, is, is checking this mantra out and letting it kind of echo around my brain. And again, it's, it's not located in my brain. Of course, it's a, it's a thought which is located nowhere. Um, and so it's a really interesting device that I think kind of like the way we breathe, uh, and our heart beats and all that these bodily functions happen without sort of us consciously choosing for them to happen. Um, I think it's sort of creating this sort of device in me where there's this thing that happens in my brain without me having to choose it or force it. And in fact, the effortlessness of the practice seems to be uh, a, a core, a core part of it. Um, so it's a very simple practice where I close my eyes, I let the mantra drift in, I hang out for 20 minutes. And then the, the most important part they say is this three minutes or so after that, you know, when the 20 minutes is done, um, there's three minutes where I let thoughts really drift back in and gently prefer the thought over the mantra and kind of gently let the mantra drift away at just as I was letting sort of the other thoughts kind of drift away or drift um, out of priority, let's say. Um, so they're, they're really, they're, they're really, uh, they're really specific about that part of like, take your time coming out. Like, it's not about just sort of like doing this exercise for 20 minutes and jumping out, whether you know it or not, you know, you've been in this kind of, uh, you know, not a place like sleep, but enough like it in the sense that like, you don't want to just jump up and, and you kind of need to take your time getting back into the world. And, um, and so that's what I do. So it's about a 25 minute thing twice a day. Um, and yeah, I've done it. Uh, and, and they're like, it doesn't matter if it's quiet, it, nothing really matters about it as long as you've got some back support. And so I've done it on tour in the van, uh, you know, in the park, it, you know, at, at home, of course, but it's a really liberating thing to be taught a practice that has no you don't have to have a setup or a pose or a belief system or in anything. It's just sort of this strange little thought sound thing that's in my brain that I get to sort of be with. And I guess I could say it like out loud all I wanted. I could say it to myself. I could say it to other people. But I have to admit, I'm super smitten with the idea that there's this thing that exists that is sort of embodied or spoken or shared uh that you know that that doesn't happen with it it just sort of exists there and um i don't think it's about placing a bunch of importance on the sound in fact they're very specific about that um it's i think there's something about having a thing that exists outside of the world of words and sensation um that is mine and theoretically has some that you know my brain is particularly curious about and whether or not that's true or not i am curious about it because it is wild how when i do gently prefer it and just chill and especially when i don't try too hard to say it or something um to, to repeat it in my brain um 
it has yielded just none of this would matter of course if it hadn't yielded kind of remarkable results in my body and my brain and in my life and um again that's all anecdotal evidence so i don't expect anyone to get too hot and bothered about it but uh it's just the fact that i've done it so consistently through my very busy strange uh life that is not based around anything happening at the same time on any particular day um it's pretty astonishing to me that this simple little practice has come in and been such an effortless simple nourishing part of my life it's it 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 still blows my mind so that's the that's the most i can say about it and and what i think is the most important about it after all that story is that it fits into my life and i'm totally convinced that if it fits into my life it can fit into anyone's life then it comes down to just choosing to prioritize two chunks of time per day where you just shut the fuck up and hang out. And to be clear, I would say that regardless of anyone's technique, if you give yourself permission twice a day for, you know, let's say a half an hour to just shut everything off. And, you know, I think of meditation as a fancy nap, basically. Um, and if you do that, if you grant yourself the, the, the sort of the joy and the privilege of just shutting the fuck up twice a day for half an hour, I think your life will improve dramatically, period, regardless of anything, just so we're clear that I'm not trying to sell this thing. I just think this particular technology, and I'm, I'm happy to call it technology, is a really neat, simple way to do that with as little barrier to entry as possible. I know I started by saying it's kind of expensive, and I guess it kind of is, but I've not spent one dime on it since then in three years. And I have access to Brett anytime I want. I can talk to him. You know, the idea is you get a teacher for life. And I can always call him with any questions or difficulties or anything. Um, and he's always been so wonderful. No one's ever asked me for money. No one's ever asked, you know, tried to sell me on shit. They've got other programs to learn more about it and like little workshop retreaty things they do. But there's never this idea that my practice will be better or I will be a more evolved human if I do these things, which is the thing I hate about the selling of a lot of uh, meditation and spiritual air quotes, big time air quotes practices. Um, it's just a real simple thing that as far as I can tell has not uh, borne any of the signs that I don't enjoy about the self-care community, which can get a little bit of snake oily and um, exploitive and just kind of shitty. So, Yeah. Yeah, I like I like what you a couple things. I like the fancy nap thing. That's cool. I want to go into that. And then I also like how yeah, there's not levels. There's not like there's 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 no bait. There's no carrot. You know what I mean? It's like this is it. You you know you're you're gonna do this for life and you're gonna be good. It's not like you know you're gonna advance to do. You're gonna get an, another mantra or something. You know or whatever. I don't know. Right. Exactly. Um. But I I love so many directions we can we can go in. I think about. You know, I, I think about, you know, Pure Land Buddhism and they repeat the word, uh, I think it's Amida Buddha over and over again. And they find this affection in a certain Buddha who will save them if they will affectionately just have his name in their mind. And it makes me think about that or or uh, the Orthodox Christians who have the Jesus prayer. And there's many there's many versions of it. But again, they find their affection in, sure. in that, you know, so it's so interesting. But what I really want to go for me, what I'm interested in is, is I love what you said about the fancy nap doing nothing. And I, I, I always think about that. It's like, 
we know that we need to physically sleep and that's healthy and we do we, we do a lot of that right you know or we're supposed to right and so it's like shouldn't we like mentally rest while we're awake and like you said do nothing because we're doing something all the time and and you know you're you and i are not advocating doing nothing half your day or a couple hours it's like take these little chunks these 20 30 minute chunks if you're new 10 minute chunks whatever what would happen if you just sat there and just didn't do anything? Like, you know, it's like, it, it, it just makes sense with life. There's hot and cold. There's the sun and the moon. There's ebb and flow. Shouldn't there be times of just doing nothing? Because we're always doing something. What would happen if you dared to do that? You know what I mean? I mean, sure. that And that's, that's true. And I would actually assert that we are doing nothing for a lot of our waking hours. And we're just pretending to do things. <laughs> true. Uh, so it, I think it's more about admitting <laughs> that you just like just choosing to do nothing and really doing it and forgetting about the distractions because all that's happening on the phone or on the computer, or on the networks or usually at our jobs or in our social circles is we're just kind of selling ourselves. We're just kind of like trying to compete in our weird little world. Um, and this is sort of like taking the heat off all that for a minute and just like i'm not gonna like i'm i'm stepping off of the race course for a moment and just chilling the fuck out but also yes so yes slowing down and and doing nothing is a wonderful seinfeldian thing to do <laughs> and i'll even uh, the way i talk about it the most um and again this is about giving yourself time to have a, a self-care practice in general and that can get real wide yoga exercise meditation whatever giving yourself time. But even the exercise part, we kind of have a cult of exercise in our culture. I think it's a little bit uh, masochistic um, and weird, but but it's there and it's cool and physical self-care is wonderful. But here's what I'll say. We pretty much take for granted that we bathe ourselves regularly. We brush our teeth every day, um, generally speaking. We, we take a shower every day, generally speaking. Um, whatever our, our, our rituals are around cleaning our physical bodies, we do them regularly and they are an unspoken priority in our lives. We have time in our morning for them. We have time in our evenings. We, you know, we have, we have time for them and we make time for them. And because if we don't, we're going to be smelly and dirty and maybe get infections and, you know, whatever, you know, wherever the vanity ends and the actual health begins, who knows? But the point is we've just decided that's an important thing. And my belief is for sure that if we give ourselves time to sort of brush our teeth mentally and emotionally, then our emotions will be free of plaque and free of cavities and, and there will be, and we'll be better off. And so to me, it's, a, that's the real analogy that I use is that we, we take for granted that we give all these time and resource to cleaning our physical body. And yet meditation, yoga, therapy, um, any number of modalities of all of those things, they're made fun of more often than not. You know, like everyone's making jokes about 12-step meetings and this and that while we fucking die over-medicated and murder each other. So it's it's a little wild to me that we don't prioritize this more. And I think we don't because... Any product that's ever sold to us is sold to us on the basis of you're broken and we can fix you, which probably not coincidentally is the Judeo-Christian vibe of like, we're a broken creature and we need saving. And I think that whole shtick is bullshit. And 
what I think is interesting about just prioritizing self-care is ironically admitting like, yeah, like I, I need to keep myself clean. I need to take care of myself. Um, but without this sort of shamey, I'm a, you know, weird zombie person. It's just, it's just a, the same. I just wish we thought about emotional and uh, I will say not like sort of uh, non-competitive physical self-care. I'm very specific about that. Um, if we prioritize those as much as we prioritized, you know, our Pelotons and our, you know, brushing our teeth, I, it, I don't think it's a stretch to say there'd be a lot less horror in the world. Um, so that's, that's my take is like prioritize it, like brushing your teeth. Cause that's to me what it is. I am totally going to steal that from you. I love that. And yeah, by the way. Yeah. So fancy nap and do it like you're brushing your teeth. Like my lawyers will be calling you. <laughs> No, and it, it, it's funny because, you know, like, so using the analogy of like being smelly, it's kind of like our behavior is smelly. We're, you know, when, when we don't take our mental health seriously, I'll call it that by, through meditation or therapy or whatever, it's like we're self-centered. We can't get along with people. That's the smelliness. That's the grossness. And we all just think it's like, oh, it's human nature. It's normal. This is just whatever. And it's like, I understand that statement, but it's like, it doesn't have to be that way. It's kind of like, you know, I'm going to, I'll keep driving the point home. It's like, Oh, uh, if I don't brush my teeth, well, it's this is what my body does. My teeth rot. That, it's normal. Like, well, yeah, but... yeah. That's the only. Uh, I want to say the smelly part is one thing, and I get that we don't like. But there's whole discussions to be had about odor and what we've done to to like tamp down our odors. So, for anyone who doesn't mind being smelly, I don't want to sweat that. But yeah, brushing my teeth almost is like feels like a that feels like the more universal thing in a way um, because everyone knows what it feels like when you haven't brushed your teeth for like a week. Like. You know, I mean, if you're if you're traveling and not able to do it, um, it's uh, and like a week would be kind of insane. I guess I'm going to retract and just even a day, you know, like it, it we know what it, what it feels like when our mouth feels fuzzy. And yeah, and then shit, our teeth literally rot and fall out if we don't take care of them. Like we know that to be true. Um, so that's where I just want to escape any distraction of yeah we're talking about vanity we're talking about appearance or no i'm talking about how our body feels um and the, that and that's why i kept coming back to the teeth brushing things i've thought about everything we're talking about so much um and we all know how it feels to feel just kind of scruffy and shitty and we know how great it feels to uh to to clean up our mouth and so that's that's why i choose that one in particular but the smelly thing's cool too there's just so many other conversations to be had about that whereas i feel like everyone can agree that they don't want to have a cavity filled tooth rotting painful uh shitty mouth <laughs> that's my that's my bet oh yeah that totally makes sense do you uh what what's your poison for listerine what do you use do my, you use what? colgate listerine vaughn's brand oh that's funny um, <laughs> there's never a small answer with me. Um, I had canker sores growing up as a kid and it's not cold sores. Um, canker sores are this like weird kind of little ulcer that can appear in your mouth. They're kind of stress related and they're a little bit mysterious, but, um, I, through looking into how I didn't want them in my adult life because they, I have canker sore PTSD forever now, um, they're incredibly painful things. Again, happen in your mouth is very interesting, actually. Um, and so one of the things that I discovered through researching 
what might cause canker sores, because again, there's a bit of mystery about it. I discovered that sodium lauryl sulfate, which is a big ingredient, lots of toothpaste is linked to it, uh, and also like walnuts. And I started to notice some correlation in my life. And once I kind of ditched walnuts and started using a toothpaste without sodium lauryl sulfate in it, um, then I was good. So I don't have a particular brand, but I do avoid sodium lauryl sulfate. (laughs) (laughs) And then the mouthwasher uses a mouthwash called Biotene, which um, I feel like, I feel like, the active ingredients like xylitol or something like that. Um, some kind of antibacterial basically, but it's super, super gentle essentially. Um, so I'm not afraid of other brands or whatever. And I'm, I'm not particularly brand ish, but I've used a lot of kiss my face toothpaste. I've used a lot of Jason. Um, but again, I'm not, I don't have a, I don't have a, I just, as long as I avoid that ingredient, I'm good. Is biotin your mantra? <laughs> I just, <laughs> I had to let it slip out. Biotin. Biotin. So you've never said it. Have you ever said it for fun and not said what it was just to let it out? You've never said it with your... I forget. I'm a curious creature. Maybe early on I like did it just to like give myself a little giddy rush. But it's the more I thought about the idea that I was even curious about saying it out loud and whatever that would mean, the more excited I got about that it was just sort of sitting there as this curious little idea. And I am a I'm a very curious creature. If anyone can't tell, I've I've done a lot of thinking through about a lot of agreements that our culture takes for granted and things that I take for granted in ways I was raised and, um, you know, from my whiteness to my maleness to my everything to my, to my thing of like where we, how in our culture can we have this mental health conversation that everyone trots out, especially when people shoot a bunch of people up, which is happening all the time. Um, and inevitably there's, you know, some sort of second amendment enthusiast, uh, who wants to talk about mental health all of a sudden, but the rest of the time, again, we are, we make fun of people that try to actually take care of themselves mentally, especially men. I mean, good Lord, boys don't cry, man up. I mean, there's like endless phrases that are just like, don't be a fucking, you know, and I'm not even going to say the word, but like, you know, the word with starting with a P for female genitalia, like, which is a word I love saying in the right context, but not in an insulting context. Um, so, you know, don't be this, don't be that. And, it's so sad to me, but then we talk about mental health and it's just one of these ass backwards things about our culture. Um, so it's all to say that I just kind of got excited about this thing that kept me curious. I wondered all of these things. Like I basically flipped the script as, as opposed to being skeptical or suspicious about what this was. Like, is it going to program me into being a super soldier? <laughs> you know, it was more like, huh, I could just be curious about this. And I think in life, there's kind of a choice since we don't know what's next and we don't understand and we have no control of the vast majority of our existence, if not all of it, basically. Um, the only choice is whether to be scared about the mystery or curious about it. And I have tattoos on my arms that are, it's a heart surrounded by a question mark that I've been drawing as long as I can remember. And it means love and mystery. Um, it means a lot of things because it's an image and that's what I love about images. But but love and mystery, and that's what I think it's kind of all about um, and what we are made of. Um, so that's, I don't think I've ever really fucked with the mantra, but not out of any sort of reverence or whatever. It's more just a natural curiosity of like, may, it might be a little bit like being a monogamous with someone or something. Like it, it's sort of, it's kind of neat to just stick with something. 
and just feel what that does to my body and where the resistance pops up and whatever it is that happens. I don't know, but for whatever it's worth, yeah, I've just never messed with it. But it, but it's not out of some thing where like I'm doing it wrong. I and mean, my teacher was like, you can say it all you want. You don't do whatever the fuck you want. But the point is that it's this, you know, this little thing that's for you. And there's just something very sweet about that for me. Um, so I suppose it's more sentimentality and curiosity that keep me from doing it, but no sense of reverence or any shit like that. Yeah. You know, whether when you think about things like, you know, Zen, I mean, the whole idea of Zen and and really Buddhism in general, but Zen is kind of like concentrated, pure Buddhism, like, let's get to the point. It really is about finding this part of ourselves that enjoys, like you're talking about wonder, mystery, seeing that in all things, you know, seeing the world non-conceptually, you can say. And that that doesn't mean we don't use our brains and for practical reasons and we got to cross the street and we got to... You know, well, it means no, it means that's how you use your brain as beginner mind. I mean, that's the whole point. I mean, I'm at, like a lot of young men. I read Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance growing up, and it's whatever it is. And Persig is whoever he is, but it's one bit where Persig's like, when you're fixing your motorcycle and you've got all the instruction manuals out and you you've called on all of the knowledge you've ever had about this, you've been taught all your training, and you still can't fix the carburetor and you've got to figure out how to fix it, that is the moment when you actually start thinking and not just regurgitating what's been bouncing around your brain. That's the moment that you're actually present with the problem when you've exhausted all the possibilities that you know and you're actually creating possibility. That's, I think, what life is all about. And, you know, and of course, the unknowable mystery of the now, the very, the moment, the little sliver that can never be occupied and yet that we are always occupying i mean that's the that's the the wonderful wonderful paradox of existence as far as i can tell and yeah zen my first real love spiritually and philosophically was eastern thought for sure for sure um and i have slowly you know messed around with some other stuff but i've yeah i've read a ton of pima children and lots of different buddhist thinkers from all the different branches of it and i think it's a an absolutely astonishing set of thoughts and beliefs but like everything else it's occupied with humans so just like science just like christianity just like business just like government um you know it's prone to human bullshit but i don't think it's the idea's fault and i think the ideas are pretty fucking great and true yeah i'm gonna sound really naive but i was actually surprised to find out that there are even like scandals like in in the buddhist world with like big people like i I won't say names but i was like oh my god them too you know so yeah you're right it's just it's it's humans Oh, yeah, that's exactly it's there's no that's what I meant about the science thing. It's a good moment to go back to that. Like, I'm not trying to say I think actually most of the popular belief systems are, you know, Islam, Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism, um, Shintoism. You know, I mean, just sort of like any number of, you know, splinters of Buddhism and all that stuff and splinters of Christianity. There's so much beautiful stuff. I mean, I sing in the ensemble of a place that I mean, we left the Methodist church body because the Methodist church body <laughs> was just too homophobic and shitty for us. But the point is, I sing at a place where we sing about Jesus all the time. And I'm not sweating that because I'm not hung up on who Jesus is or isn't. I mean, and as far as I can tell, he was pretty fucking amazing. And as far as I can tell, we have completely weaponized and made a monstrosity out of a lot of cool shit that he was trying to talk about. 
And I think that's sort of a general theme is that the ideas are great, but you get ego involved, you get fear involved, you get, um, God, so much kind of intrinsically human bullshit um, involved. It can kind of just sort of ruin everything. And yeah, and, and anyone who's out there thinking that their community doesn't have that, I guarantee you it does. And it generally will run along gender lines and racial lines, like just about anything else in our white supremacist patriarchal world. Um, and it runs along power lines, which is, you know, who, who they who have the most money dictate the rules. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's none of it's rocket science, as it were. Um, but I really appreciate you being so transparent about that feeling of naivete, because I have that all the time as well, where I realize, oh, God, I totally decided that this community or this person wasn't subject to the rules that I kind of know are true about what we've done to ourselves as, as humanity through any number of bad decisions over the course of our evolution. Um, and I think meditation is about honestly getting more in touch with our animal selves, our pre-verbal, pre-human, uh, just animal selves. The fact that we even talk about ourselves as humans that are individual and have unique human spirits and blah, 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 like that alone is just like a, some bizarre ass cult talk. So I just like getting back way back before any of that, before kind of people got involved. And I think Eastern thought tends to contain some really core ideas about the mysteries of the world and has some pretty neat ideas about how to dance with them and not try to control them. But of course there are people who will do the exact opposite. And, and, and frankly, TM, um, I know there's, you know, more than a few articles about like, oh, so-and-so was charging this astronomical amount, usually around celebrities and stuff and that kind of bullshit. Um, and I'm sure someone has been a monster in the TM organization over the years. I'm sure lots of people have, frankly. And so just to cut to that chase, I don't have any illusions about that. But what I will say is that a lot of the infrastructure that usually goes with the bullshit I haven't found in my experience with TM and it has been glorious. And I think it might have to do with the fact that it isn't a really widespread, big pop culturally thing. It's kind of gets to exist in this kind of like smaller scale situation, or at least, I don't know, that's my take on it. But all that said, I love that you brought that up. And I think it's really beautiful and that we, we would all do well to remember that any, entity, including ourselves, that we think is immune from all of this, uh, you know, the, the emotional equivalent of, of our mouths getting dirty and our teeth falling out, teeth falling out. Like we're all subject to that if we don't do self-care. I, I, I believe that a hundred percent. So an organization needs to be accountable and transparent and have oversight. Um, and, um, individuals need to do self-care. So, I just really appreciate you pointing that out because that's important. And I think this kind of may go back to like, I'm not really interested in, I know I've been talking about TM a bunch and of course I would love if people did it, but truly I would just love if people took 20 minutes twice a day to settle themselves down. I think things would get a lot better, but even that it's really prescriptive and I can tend to be kind of a control freak and want to tell everyone else what to do. So I'm just trying to say that for me, what's interesting about the practice is that it's been a very internal practice. I have a resource and, you know, Brett's been practicing his whole life. So is his wife. I can be with them. They're sweet and kind. And I've asked them all sorts of challenging questions about the nature of TM and the community around it. 
and they've been wonderful throughout. And to me, that's ultimately the the thing. I can't I can't fix humans and the world, uh, no matter how much I try. But I can take care of my little corner of the universe, which is me. And it feels really nice to do that. Yeah. What I'm curious about, you know, uh, because shame on me if I don't talk to Jonah uh, and we don't talk about music a little bit. So we, we're, we're talking about creativity and wonder and being yeah, an artist. Yeah. I feel like you're tapping into that, you know. So like, you know, one of my favorite artists is Kurt Vonnegut. And, and he, he would say that that art is education for the soul. And that's kind of maybe he was tapping into what we're talking about. So I'm curious, like. Before you got in the TM, yeah. I mean, do you feel that maybe you were tapping into some of this stuff, you know, through being creative? Yeah, yes. And the only thing I would, you know, and I love Vonnegut. I grew up, man, I, I read Slaughterhouse-Five a lot of times. Um, uh, Vonnegut is, is a genius. I, I, I adore him. Um, and, and a total <laughs> fucking asshole. So, like, <laughs> just so we're staying clear. Um, but, yeah, the only part of that... I would take any issue with is the word soul, which is kind of a, it's more of a problem of with words and language and literacy and stuff. But the whole idea of a soul, um, and I'm going to try to get too off track here, but I just, it's important for me because there's all these words that we throw out and concepts that I think themselves need investigation. Cause I think they're where a lot of the bullshit hmm. is, is hiding um, is usually in the, in the, it's sort of like how there's a lot of bullshit in the medical industry and the policing industry I think part of the reason for that, oh, and, in the, and in the church, um, is it's not those people's fault per se that they're awful. It's that we have imbued those practices and those communities with this sort of this uh, this almost divine power. Um, and I don't think that's good for anyone ever. That kind of concentration of power. Um, and I think music's the same way. But so soul. So forget the word soul. But definitely practices that aren't based on literacy and written down things like oral oral practices uh like back when there was sort of oral cultures as opposed to literate cultures and storytelling and sharing and um there there was a, a much different relationship with language and stuff and i think music calls back to that again pre-human pre-literacy pre-agricultural um time. I think it calls back to a very primal time in our animal selves. Um, and so, yes, I think both they're, they're, they're right on the same way. And I absolutely think that I, I led, I grew up in a really shitty kind of chaotic environment a lot of times. And music was a deep, wonderful escape for me as it has been for so many millions of people over the centuries. Um, and so I feel very lucky that I found it because yeah, I couldn't I couldn't be a songwriter and not wonder where these ideas come from. Cause yes, yeah, sometimes I hear the radio and I think, ooh, I like that chorus. And but sometimes an idea will just pop up out of nowhere. It'll literally wake me up at night. And where the hell does that come from? You know what I'm saying? And so that kind of mystery is a real, real sweet thing. Um and I music is definitely responsible for birthing that curiosity in my adult life it has been the template by which i have explored other things i think of i think of things like songs i think of things like bands i think of things like tours um so that experience around music has definitely served me well in my metaphysical <laughs> adventures how has your creative process changed since you've been since you've been a meditator 
Um, I would just say that in general, my energy has really evened out. Um, my dad uh, was this, I mean, well, these, the, the running armchair theory, since he never got diagnosed and stuff, was that he was basically bipolar medicating with alcohol. Um, and what I knew in, in my short time with him was that he was an incredible visceral force of life and very emotional and also prone to bouts of, of rage. And, um, and he had a real chip on his shoulder about the world as, as we were estranged for, or yeah, I don't know, it's kind of out of touch. I, I can't say I was estranged from him cause I didn't want to be estranged from him, but he basically like left when I was five and moved to Florida and drank himself to death over the course of 20 years. And uh, as I, watched that watched that sort of sad arc um i definitely just sort of yeah it it just i watched someone not take care of themselves and it kind of taught me that oh shit i better take care of myself because this is how this can go down and when i was young i did a ton of drugs and um and feel very lucky that i was able to kind of move out of that not again not because not because drugs are bad or whatever i i smoke weed sometimes now and take some psychedelics once in a while. And it's all for it. Not really into opiates, not really into alcohol story for another day. Um, it, it, but yeah, this is, this is all, this is all what taught me to search for this stuff because I see what happens when people don't basically. Um, and, and music again was, was kind of my, my, and it is my, that's my central processing language, um, is songs. And though sort of learning that language through songs and through exploring that mystery of where a song comes from and where an idea comes from definitely led me to, to this. And I think, and well, in fact, I know scientifically speaking that, uh, there's a lot of research that shows that singing a song or listening to music or um, or having sex or doing drugs or exercising or doing yoga um, or meditating or whatever, all of these things uh, spark similar parts in the brain and relax other parts. Um, and I find that wild. And I think it explains a lot about addiction and how people look for this relief and this release through substances through uh through compulsive behaviors um any number of things uh through self-inflicted pain um which sounds wild but i think it's all the i think we're all trying to sort of deal with this 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 pain that we feel physically i've actually got this ache in my shoulder this morning um that's i think one way i've really learned to deal with my life is to experience pain as a little invitation to go check something out. Um, so I don't know what's going on with my shoulder, but I kind of love that I'm experiencing this nagging physical pain as I'm speaking with you. And I experienced it when I meditated this morning. And I just have a different relationship with, I would say, stress and upset in my life. This is all circling back to your question of like, what's changed? So I don't know that my music has changed per se. I think I'm writing some pretty fucking great songs, but who knows? Um, I'm having fun writing them. I'm having fun creating them. But I would say just in my life, I have more of a serene relationship 
with all of this life energy that is coursing through me. And I think I'm able to be with it and I'm able to use it uh, consciously as opposed to have it use me. And I think what I mean by that is that I grew up around a lot of anger. And for years in my life, I kind of lived on anger and I lived on judgment and I lived on be being fucking smart. And I love all those things, but I noticed that all of them were very unsustainable things that were starting to really, as I hit my 40s, were starting to really have some diminishing returns and destructive kind of consequences. And so I, it seems pretty clear to me over a few years that the central thing my meditation practice has done is let my whole animal self relax a little bit and let this energy course through it in a way that is less stop and start and fight or flight driven and more just the energy of life of whatever this mystery is that keeps me going and keeps my blood pumping. I just feel like everything feels a little bit calmer now. And um, again, it's, it's ironic because I think in music and through songwriting, I think I had already achieved that in, I think that's what was so attractive to me about music was that it gave me that peace. It helped settle my anger down. It helped settle my fear down. It helped settle my judgment down. And it was wonderful. And I didn't realize that at first. I was just like digging Zeppelin, you know? Um, but it meditation has kind of brought that to the rest of my life. Because looking back on it, I noticed that musically speaking, I've had this wonderful existence, but my personal life and my interaction with other humans has been pretty dramatic at times. And meditation is helping me react differently in situations, let's say, you know, in back of a shitty driver or when, you know, someone is bullying someone else. I mean, I can still and do like address it, but there's less of this fire in me that is kind of ugly and destructive and more presence and being with the actual circumstance that's happening. I think that's yeah, the main thing. I totally totally agree with that it's like i think some people misinterpret you know eastern cool. stuff or meditation it's like oh you're gonna be this like out of touch like have no desires not live life it's like no you you still want things and do things and enjoy culture and stuff you're just not like you said there, if, if it's anger it's not destructive or if you don't like something you're not like you don't hate it or you don't complain about it all day or if you do like something you're not obsessed with it it's just this like healthy way of enjoying the world um, I don't want to like abruptly change the topic, but I'm also excited to talk about your new, you have a new no. a new album coming out. Can we talk about that? No, oh, I love you. Yes. And I love that. Um, yes. Um, yeah. My new album is called Songs. Um, it's spelled with a, a, a silent P at the beginning, which to get back into our weird little quasi religious world is, is, a, is a kind of a, a play on the word Psalms. Um, and that isn't any sort of Judeo-Christian anything. It's just that what I love about that word and what it indicates is that Psalms were written for specific purposes to, to soothe or to, um, you know, to be sexy or to go into battle or to, you know, whatever it is like, you know, they're sort of, they're things written with a purpose. Um, and as in like their technology, their ways to care for ourselves and protect ourselves and, um, and I've just come to think of what I do with music like that, um, that whatever people want to do with the, the music or not, these songs <laughs> with the silent P are intended 
to be of service in your life. They're intended to help inspire you when you're feeling low. They're intended to help you celebrate a beautiful moment in a way that only music can. Um, they're intended to nurse you through grief. Um, they're intended to give you a little spark of anger when you might need a little fucking juice, you know, to kind of get your spine together and, and have that confrontation that you know you need to have. Um, and this, I think it's always been about that for me. So in some ways I'm just kind of realizing this is what it's always been about for me. But this record in particular, the, uh, the songs are very much constructed. I mean, shit, after this year, you know, after the almost, our country almost falling into outright crazy ass violent fascism and then COVID and everything else. Um, it, the, the record was about surviving that for me and about nourishing myself through that and about making sort of peace with this insane fucking world that I am a part of and I am partly uh, responsible for and complicit in um, and not shaming myself or shaming the world, but just feeling that and ultimately uh, transcending, you know, just, I mean, just to, to like, and not transcending is in leaving it or pretending I'm not a part of it, but just understanding I can't control all that shit. All I get control, get to control is what I'm putting into the world and what I'm choosing to do in the face of these truths that I'm doing my best to face. Cause I think a lot of what we do is this weird denial, distraction, deflection, uh, kind of keep it moving thing. And I think that's why a lot of shitty systems and shitty cultural norms persist is because we don't want to slow down and go like, oh, wow, we've been doing a really stupid thing for the last hundred years. Better do something different. Because um, there's usually a lot of in money invested in it going the way it's going um, and a lot of power invested. Forget about the word money. Um, because power, of course, these days, you know, power comes with uh, with attention and with, um, you know, if you can put up a little thing and it goes viral, uh, then, then you win. Um, and there's so much weird identity cachet right now. It's, it's, it's a wild time. So anyway, all of that stuff is what I think we need less of. And a pre-verbal thing that can never be spoken that's just a sweet little practice is what I think we need more of. And that's what this new album is about. Um, it's, it's very much about being of assistance to anyone who wants some assistance going through this life. Yeah, that's wonderful. And those who are listening, we're gonna, uh, Jonah has graciously uh, volunteered a track. We're gonna get a, a song on the end of the, of the episode. So stay tuned after the episode. We got about five, 10 more minutes, but stay tuned. You're gonna, we're gonna hear a song. What song were, you, were, you, were we gonna put up, Jonah? Or what are you gonna put up? You know, it's a great, it's a great question. I'm going to think about that while we talk for the next few minutes and end this out. Um, you know, and I'll say to everyone that, yeah, so my full name is Jonah Matranga. I'm sure that's listed in the podcast and all that, but I just want you to know that even if you misspell that name horribly and add the word music, you will find me because I've been kicking around a long time on the internet. So um, jonahmatranga.com is my little home. You can listen to the record there. You can be part of a monthly community there. You can get all kinds of cool stuff. Um, but mostly you can keep in touch and keep this conversation going. So anyone has any questions, yes, I'm on all the networks and that's fine. And as evidenced by this conversation that started with an in-person conversation, what I really love is direct personal connection, not through a gatekeeper. So please come visit the website, 
not for a commercial, but to continue the conversation. And I don't know what to Let's keep talking and I'm going <laughs> to figure it out. Yeah, we got we got time. Yeah, That's what I love about you. Even comments, yeah. uh, I mean, part of part of your branding, you know, I, I got I got to find it here. I, I have my little Jonah bookmark. It says "Say hi anytime" at the, you uh, know, your, your website. I think that's just so wonderful. I, re I really do, and I just want you to know that I appreciate that about you, amongst other things. But, um, well, my last, yeah, yeah, I my last that. question would Thank be: um, everybody on the show gives a book recommendation. I hope you know it, it can be something that you're reading now, something that you just love in general. It could be anything you fucking want. Any book that you want to recommend, or or, or two, um, and maybe tell us why. And I'll make sure to get that in the description. No pressure. I don't want to put you on the spot. I'm terrible at these kind of things. Yeah, no, those, those, Go no, there's it. a, I've got a couple, I've got a few things. Um, uh, the uh, Pema Chodron, who I mentioned earlier, she's a really, really, really amazing Buddhist thinker. Um, what is it? Is it, is it just, is it just things fall apart or something like that? Um, I forget. There's, there's two, there's another book by, uh, another author that has a very similar, if not identical title. I'll find the point is something about things falling apart by Pema Chodron. Yeah, um, it's it's one of her more popular things. But frankly, all of her books that I've read are <laughs> she's saying about the same thing, which is which is you know because it's a pretty simple thing that needs to be said. But this one, when things fall apart, helped me through my divorce, helped me through a really rough time in my life, and continues to be a real tome of wisdom for me. Um, and then, and another similar book is Comfortable with Uncertainty is another good book of hers. Um, I just read a thing by, I think it's by Thich Nhat Hanh called Being Peace. Um, that's a neat one. And then in terms of language, I've talked a lot about, I don't know if anyone's noticed, but I've talked a lot about literacy and the problems with it, which I know sounds weird because literacy is, you know, why we won basically as a species. But it's, I think it was also a really, really a wrong turn for a lot of reasons. And the book that really says that the most clearly is a book called The Spell of the Sensuous. Um, and it's by a guy called David Abrams. He was influenced by the thinking of uh, a professor called Barry Sanders and another professor called Ivan Illich. Um, and I think they wrote a neat book called H2O and the Waters of Forgetfulness. But anyway, The Spell of the Sensuous is a gorgeous, gorgeous book and look at literacy and the writing down of words and the way in which it is entirely reprogrammed our brains. Um, and I don't think for the better. Uh, so that one, I really recommend to anyone who's curious about language and the, the the underpinnings of our culture and the way it is. I think it's a really beautiful Thank book. Thank you for that. You, you, you get me inspired to talk some more, but we are gonna have to wrap up. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Okay, and so the track I want laid in is a track called This Is Water. Um, it's a track that uh, the title, it comes from a relatively famous piece by David Foster Wallace, rest in peace. Um, he uh, delivered some commencement speech at university and, and talked about um, the idea of the things that are around us that we don't know that are so ubiquitous that we don't even notice them and he told the little fable of a fish swimming through the water and someone asked the fish how's the water and the fish says what water um because it's just all the fish knows is what the fish exists in so it's about the song is 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 predicated on that and sort of talks about things that are just so vast and wide in our world that it might seem kind of overwhelming 
and but as ever with me, I think there's a real way through, which is just uh, which is just staying present and and staying with it. And um, you know, there's a there's a thing in that I've learned over the years that called awareness, acceptance, action. And I'm real good at awareness, and I think a lot of us are. And uh, I'm pretty good at action, and I think a lot of us are pretty good at action. I think we're an awareness slash action world, and but we sorely lack acceptance. Um, and that doesn't mean complicity, and it doesn't mean resignation. It means just actually accepting that things are what they actually are and not making up a story about why they are that or aren't that way or whatever, but just accepting. Um, so This Is Water is about that. Um, it's There are other songs on the record that I'm, you know, don't give up and uh, that are a little bit more like overtly um, sort of like listen to this if you're fucking sad. I don't know what mood This Is Water is for, but that's kind of why it comes to mind is because the big tune that kind of goes everywhere and talks about this place we're living in and hopefully inspires us to dig into it. So This Is Water. Okay, so stay this tuned for that. Jonah, it was a pleasure to talk to you, get to know you some more. I really enjoy, uh, you're so a great communicator fun. and I, I love, you're, you're good with nuance, which is important in, in language. So I appreciate that. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jesse. Sometimes there's a hidden cost. Sometimes there's a secret master. Sometimes lives are lived and lost. An invisible disaster. This is water, this is air. This is really everywhere. Do you get it? Do you care? This is water. Growing up poor as dirt. Gotta know if you get hurt. You can call 911, but nobody's gonna come. Tell the truth to yourself, tell it to somebody else. If we're gonna make it through, gotta find something new. So, what are you gonna bring? What are you gonna do? Listen to the sun, to the earth, to the ocean, to the What are you gonna bring?